Today, Randy is going to talk about finding life satisfaction. But before he does, let me set the table. As Atlantans, we are all well aware of how hot it is in July, right? Maybe we're outside by the pool with our friends and family on the 4th of July and we get really thirsty, right? Maybe we want a large glass of ice water or maybe a large sweet tea from Chick-fil-A. Whatever it is, we want it because we want to satisfy our thirst. But what happens after we drink it? Well, we want another one, right? Because, because it only satisfied for the moment and then we want it again. Extending beyond just being Atlantans, um, we all search for something that will satisfy, right? For me, I search for life satisfaction through the cars I drive. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, okay? I love awesome, fast, really expensive, foreign cars, okay? We took a picture of me finding life satisfaction in the cars that I drive, so take a look. Yeah, that's me cheesing it in the Ranger. Okay, but, but seriously though, right? Do we not all search for life satisfaction in something? Or maybe it's sex. You go from one relationship to the next, searching for intimacy or, or companionship. Maybe it's your image. Maybe you exhaust hours in the gym because, uh, because you want to look a certain way or, or buy the most expensive clothes or get cosmetic procedures done because you feel that if you look a certain way, you'll be loved, right? Or maybe it's money. Maybe you work 100 hours a week at your job because you think if you just make a little more money, you'll be a little more comfortable and a little more satisfied. But what always happens, right? It lasts for a moment and then we want more, right? We need more. So Randy's here today to discuss finding that life satisfaction. Satisfaction that is not momentary, but satisfaction that lasts. So help me welcome to the stage, Randy Pope. Welcome to IF. We're glad to have you here. Glad to have you here. Hey, uh, let me help you understand investigative forum. I know we come from different backgrounds with uh, uh, different understandings of what this thing actually is. What we try to do is provide a forum that is non-threatening, that is uh, enjoyable, uh, informative, and brief. And uh, I think that's what people are looking for in trying to uh, investigate the faith of Christianity. Um, this is a time that there's going to be open questions. It goes for five weeks. Uh, we hope you'll enjoy it enough this week that to make you think, well, I'll come back next week. And uh, I-, I want you to know this. It's just like when I meet people one-on-one, and I do this over lunches all the time. Uh, I always make it real clear. I say, you know what? I hope you don't think for a moment that our gathering is for my sake. It's not. I'm just here for you. And so if, if you find out in one week that this is not touching what you're interested in, I wouldn't come back. I tell guys that all the time. I say, we just take this one week at a time and determine if it's helpful. If it's helpful, great. Let's stick to it. This is really designed for three groups. Uh, the first group would be those that are skeptical or uncertain about the Christian faith. And I know there are numbers of us here that come in that, uh, in that uh, group of people. We'd say, you know, I, I really don't understand why people embrace a Bible that was written so long ago, a man that lived so long ago that we're not even, you know, we don't have proof of anything really today. So why? I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. There are a lot of people that would assume that Christians just shelved their brains in order to follow the faith of Christianity. You're going to find out based on hearing the best that I or we can offer here in your opinion, whether you think that is the case 
or it's not the case. So uh, that would be the first group of people. A second group that will be among us would be those that maybe embrace the beliefs of Christianity. But had you been born and raised in, let's say, North Africa, you would be saying Allah. You wouldn't be talking about Jesus. And so their beliefs, but you, you have to be honest and say, really, the beliefs that I have are because they were uh, pretty much handed to me by my family background or the culture in which I was raised, the experiences that I was, uh, I was given, I didn't choose. And, and, and maybe they're just beliefs, but uh, they're far from being convictions, meaning that it's something that drives you every day or that provides for you that which you've heard Christianity at its best is supposed to offer. So that'd be a second a second group. And there's some of us here uh, that are here that, that really we, we have the deep convictions, but we're really uncertain about how to address some of the questions that are the big questions of people's lives. And we'd love to know, you know, how, how do I address some of these? I, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear the answers to some of these questions. So what we're going to do at the end of each session, we'll certainly have more the last four weeks than the first, but uh, we're going to have uh, a time of Q&A. It'll be just questions that are arising just from you. Uh, some of you may not feel comfortable. I would love to have as many as possible come from the floor, and we'll have a mic you know, in each section here and uh, in the back, and then you can just raise your questions, and, and then we'll address them. And, and you'll find me saying to many questions, I don't know, I don't have an answer to that one, or the answer certainly won't... Uh, won't be helpful to you, perhaps, and, uh, but you'll at least get a, a, good, a good idea of what Christianity has to offer in terms of responses to some of the deep and real questions that are important questions that we carry. If you don't feel comfortable standing up and, and, and having a mic in your hand even to ask a question, then um, you'll be welcome. You can, I'm going to give you just a little bit. In fact, you've got it written down in one of the pieces of paper you have. You can text your question. You can start texting anytime if you want to text it. Uh, you can email your question, and it'll go right back to our board. They'll put it up, and it'll be on the screen. So uh, we obviously won't be able to get to all questions as a rule, but we'll get to as many as possible. Those that we can't get to, uh, there's information we'll give you about how to go online, and you can find the answers as best we can give you to the questions that we've not had time to address while we've been here in the uh, investigative forum. So that gives you a little idea about that. There are three things that we'll do each week, just so you get a picture of where we're going. Uh, I'm going to take the first uh, time that we have here, and I'm going to address what I consider to be uh, one of the five most significant, important, and often asked questions about the Christian faith. Uh, the first one I wouldn't put in the category of necessarily the one that's verbalized so much. It, it is one that I find as I'm meeting with people that they want the answer to. But the last four will be questions, as I'll introduce them in just a moment. Uh, these four I'm asked over and over and over again. And I hear the response saying, that was the most beneficial thing I could have ever understood to understand the faith of Christianity. So we'll... We'll have that time that I address the, what I'll call the question of the day. A couple of weeks, there'll actually be maybe two questions that I address right up front, all right? Then the, uh, the second thing we'll do is we will address some questions that are in the Gospel of John. When you leave, you will be offered, as our guest, you'll be offered a, a little Gospel of John, and uh, it's one that we have printed with permission from the from the, the Bible societies and so forth that we use, 
Um, but in the margin, you're going to see questions. There'll be maybe uh, every five chapters, there may be seven questions, something like that. And uh, when I do this individually with people, uh, I have them take that home, read the first five chapters, and then to try to find the answer to the question that's in the margin. There's enough room in the margin, you can actually write some of your thoughts of what you think the answer might be. And then uh, you literally will find the answer to the question literally across from where it's placed in the margin. So if it's up top of the margin, you look across, that's where the answer will be. It will have the text where you can find the answer. If you're new to the Bible, you might see 2 colon 12. That would mean chapter 2 and verse 12. So the little numbers that are by the writing, that's the verse. And the, the big number uh, that is, uh, you'll see bold number uh, on that page, that'll be the chapter. So you just go to the chapter and verse, and you can find where the answer is to be found. So, but we find that people that actually do that and, and read those questions uh, and, and try to think through them, man, what a better experience it is. So we would encourage you to do that. So I'll take a few minutes, and I will address some of those questions that you will find, as I hear this over and over, it was like a key that unlocked the Bible. So the Bible became understandable. I will say this. If you go through all the uh, four weeks that follow, and you walk through John, and you read the Gospel of John, five chapters a day, I'm convinced you're going to say, I understand Christianity as I never dreamed that I would understand it. And I will help you because I will give some insight into those answers that you would never, never, never pick up on your first and early readings. Okay? So that's what we'll do, number two. Then we'll open it uh, to the questions. And I will say this. When we get to the questions, I'll say this again, but uh, this is not for perimeter church people to ask questions. This is for our, our guests who are trying to figure out, you know, the faith and understand it and all, that is, that's who we want to be asking the questions. So if I identify one of you that asks a question, I know that you're, you're one that comes out of Perimeter Church, I will shame you so bad, <laughs> you will wish you had never, ever done that, all right? So let's address question number one. Here's the question that, that I find everybody is interested in. Everybody wants life satisfaction. Just like Zane was saying in the, in the video, everybody wants satisfaction. I mean, who wakes up every day saying, I hope I'm miserable today? We wake up saying, I want today to be a good experience, and I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good about life. I want to be satisfied. I can't tell you how many people that I've had discussions with over the years about life satisfaction and say, hey, I mean, just uh, honestly, how's life satisfaction right now? You know, I don't hear a lot of people raving about the satisfaction they're experiencing. Some do, but I wouldn't say a lot. But I'll say this, everybody agrees that's something that they really, really would like to have. So, I, uh, I meet with hundreds of people. Uh, during the course of a year, I can't tell you how many people that I meet with, typically over lunch and uh, uh, if I'm alone, it's going to be with a man that, that I just will sit down with, and sometimes maybe my wife and I with a, a lady or, or maybe a couple or whatever. And uh, over and over again, I am now convinced everyone is looking for the same thing. They're looking for something. It's almost like, this is the best analogy that I can give, it's, it's kind of like everyone's trying to put a puzzle together. 
And they feel like they're making strides because they get this little piece and this, this, and this. But they get there and it's like there's a, there's a piece missing. And it doesn't make the picture clear until they get the final piece. And it's like it's missing and they cannot find it. And then I see in countless numbers of times, I see people who then when they meet together and investigate the faith of Christianity, they agree that is the missing piece. And they plug it into the puzzle piece of their life. And over and over again, and I'm not exaggerating, I hear people say, this has made all the difference in my life. Now, we may all just be crazy people. And maybe this is not real. That's what you're to figure out. And I'm not going to try to persuade you and try to get you to believe. I'm going to just try to give you the data of the Christian faith. And I'll say, here it is, and you're investigating. It's not uncommon for me to be meeting with someone on a one-on-one basis. And, and they say, well, explain this. If you're a Christian, da, 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 explain this. And I'll go, all right, here's the best I can do. And I'll give them the answer, the best that I can give. And when I finish, they go, I'm not buying. I, I, I cannot agree. I, I don't think so. I just, that, that doesn't convince me. And I start crying. I get upset. No, what I do is I say, hey, you know, I would, in my mind, if not in reality, I would come up with a little tea ledger and I would put on the one pros and the other cons. Reasons to believe, reasons not to believe. And I would put that on the con side. I would say, you, you, you're not getting an answer that satisfies there. So why would that persuade you of the faith? Put it on the negative side. Be honest when things kind of build a strength to the argument of the faith of Christianity being what it claims to be. Put it on that side and then, and then just weigh it out at the end and see where you land. So it is like a kind of a, a puzzle missing. Let me tell you a, a quick story. A story of a, a lady, and I'm going to call her Judy, though that's not her real name, and I, I think she would want me to maybe uh, not use her real name. But um, I'm at, in my office one day, and my assistant comes into my office, and I was working on some things I needed to do, and she said, I know that you're doing something important, but there's a lady who's just come in, and she really wants to meet with you. And I think you're going to want to meet with her. I said, why? What's the situation? I said, well, she's, she's about to take her life. And I think it's going to be like real, real soon. And I think you just, you, you really want to make sure you meet. I said, well, I, I, absolutely, I will. So she comes in and, and, and I find a, a lady in her, I, I would say early 50s, probably. Very attractive, um, very bright lady. We sit down and talk, and I said, what can I do for you? She said, well, my, my son and daughter-in-law um, have started coming to church here. And um, I'm not really sure what's going on with them, but something's happening in them that's making them different. And actually, I've given up on life. I said, well, explain. She said, well, frankly, I, I'm about to take my life. Now, I've had many people through the years who've told me I'm thinking about suicide. There are some that I believe, and there's some that I think, I think what you're really saying is, I wish I could, I, you know, I'm not happy in life, but I really don't think they're going to take their life. This lady, I was convinced. She shared with me how she was going to do it, or when she was going to do it, 
she explained how nobody would ever know it was suicide except me. She said, and I'm assuming as you're a pastor that you would keep confidentiality. I said, well, I would. She said, so no one will know it's suicide, but, but I'm going to take my life. I said, why? Why do you want to take your life? She said, there's nothing in life that satisfies. I've, I've done it all. I've got a wonderful family. My husband's a great man. I, I got two wonderful kids. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? I got money. It's not the issue that I'm, that I'm hurting financially. I've got a good job. But says, I'm just flat out miserable. And, and I can't find anything that satisfies. Well, inwardly I'm hurting for her and knowing how desperate that, but, but there was something also inside me that was kind of grinning ear to ear saying, oh boy, I think I got the answer for you. So she said, I just thought I would, this would be my last choice. I don't, I don't go to church. I'm not a church person at all, but, but because my son and daughter-in-law were coming here and this is where they seem to find something, I'd just check with you and see if maybe I'm missing something. And I said, you know, I think you are missing something. She said, really? What, what, what am I missing? I said, oh, you're missing a thing called glory. She says, glory? What's glory? I said, well, it, you know, it's interesting. That's the same question that people within the church that I pastor would be asking. Very few people really understand it. But I said, you know, there are actually three types of glory. This is a perspective that comes from the Bible, which is something I actually believe in. And you might obviously certainly wouldn't, I would assume, but, but you ought to hear this out anyway. She says, well, go on. I said, well, there can be glory that we give to God. At Christmas time, you hear glory to God in the highest. That's glory to God. Glory means splendor, majesty, renown. Uh, it actually can mean satisfaction. And there is a glory of God. We talk about God being a glorious God, meaning a God of splendor, renown, whatever. But I said, Judy, there is another kind of glory that's really important. And nobody seems to hear or think much about this one. And so she said, well, what's that? And I said, well, this is the glory from God. It's a renown, a splendor, a satisfaction that actually comes from God to his creation. And it's a very important glory. I said, could, could I just tell you what I call the story of glory? And I'm just going to give you four chapters of the story of glory. There are a few more that can be added. We maybe will talk about that one day in the future. But these four first, they're really critical. In fact, I can tell you the whole story of glory by really just telling you the titles of the first four chapters and just a word or two about each one of those. W would you like to hear the story of glory? She said, man, I'd love to hear it. And I said, well, here's chapter number one. It's designed with glory. Designed with glory. And all I'm saying is that according to the Bible, whether you believe it or not, real or not, we, that's another debate. But, but according to what the Bible says, God designed people with glory. The original man and woman of this, uh, of this universe had a thing called glory, renown, splendor, satisfaction. So I said, that takes you to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is fall from glory. And I said, there's a verse in the Bible, 
It's in a book called Romans chapter 3. And it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning that that glory is stripped away because we've gone against God. And so that really is the story of humanity from that point on. So we are literally in a fallen condition. And because that's true of all people, from that point on, there's a third chapter which is called Search for Glory. We're all in a search for glory. It's kind of crazy. It's like, it's like we come out of the womb, every person, and we're, it's like we're reaching for something. We want something outside of us to make us feel satisfied. And they're not bad things, whether it be food or drink or whatever. I mean, we got to have stuff. And so we're in this search, but we're searching for something that satisfies. And then we want that toy, and we got to have this, and we got to have that. And then we grow up, and nothing really changes. In fact, I told Judy, I said, what we really are doing, we're a people that goes from garbage heap to garbage heap. We really do. We go from toy to toy. We go fix to fix. We go relationship to relationship. And we're looking for that which would really, really satisfy. And here's what's so interesting, Judy. When we get whatever it is, maybe it's a relationship or, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a material item. Uh, maybe it's a success, a, a, a realm of success. When we get it, it does. It has this incredible sense of satisfaction that it brings us. But here's the oddity about it. It just, like, it leaves. It just goes away. I told her the story about a man that that uh, I had recently talked to uh, through a mutual friend that I had met with over lunch and shared these things. And he'd become a follower of Jesus and his life really turned around. He was brand new at it though. And so he is at a lake, at, at a uh, mountain house, uh, his mountain house with a, a good buddy. Or maybe he was his buddy's lake out, uh, a mountain house. I don't know. But they were there. And the two of them were out just on the balcony of the home and we're just talking, and the, the guy says to my new friend, he looks over at him and says, let me ask you a question. Are you satisfied? He said, what do you mean satisfied? Like with life, are you satisfied? And my friend responded to him, and I'm telling you this, said the, the friend responded and said, I am now. And his friend around and said, now? What do you mean now? Well, I haven't been, but I am now. Well, explain. He said, I, I really can't. It's so new to me. It's hard for me to really verbalize, explain. But I got this new friend. His name's Randy, and I'd love for you to talk to him. And maybe he could share with you the things that helped me become satisfied. So he calls me. And would I meet with him for breakfast? I said, sure. So we meet together. Telling Judy, I said, we sit over at breakfast. I said, well, tell me your story. He said, man, I've got, I got everything a human can want. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got two really handsome boys and healthy boys. I live in one of the nicest neighborhoods in Atlanta. I have a thriving, thriving business. He says, what is it that I don't have? But I've got this thing for high-end clothing. So I go down to Buckhead on a regular basis to my favorite store, and I go in and I buy thousands of dollars worth of clothing, and I have a rush over me that I can't explain. I mean, I've just got a high, and I purchase it, 
I put it in the trunk, and by the time I close the trunk door and sit down to drive away, it's this, I can't understand it. It just goes away. It's gone. And he says, I can't find satisfaction. And I said, hey, you know, you're no different than anybody else. The difference is you have so much money and ability that you can go out further and further and further in your investigation. So like you, Judy, you've kind of traveled to the end of the Internet of life. And now you said, there's nothing out there and there's nothing coming. So I don't have any hope. I'm ready to get out of this world. But I said, there's an interesting verse in Psalm 16. It says, those who run after other gods, gods meaning something that you're looking for to fulfill your needs, their sorrows shall be multiplied. I said, Judy, I think that's what's happening. You're living with your sorrows being multiplied. And, and there is something called this, this thing called glory. And so I said, the fourth and final chapter of this story of glory is called discovery of glory. I said, there's an interesting verse in the Bible in Colossians 1, and this is what it says. And Jesus is the hope of, could you guess what the last word is? Glory. Jesus is the hope of glory. Now, Judy, whether he is or he's not, is not for me to decide. That's for you to decide. But I think you would need data and information to help you understand and to be able to know whether you agree that there is this thing called glory that's the missing piece or there's really not. It's just something fabricated by people who call themselves Christians. So if I were you, I'd investigate, which she chose to do. And I don't know her life now. and She's not here at this church. I don't know. But all I know is that she was a turnaround woman. And life continues. So, you know, I, I think there is some reason that people would say, sure, it, may, it makes all the sense in the world to investigate. Here's a journal entry that I made back a number of year, years ago. I said, if Jesus is the hope of glory... The pursuit of satisfaction from mere career success, marital happiness, sexual pleasure, or even religious endeavors is all in vain. That's what I believe. Now, is it or is it not reality? So in light of the universal desire for people to find this thing called satisfaction, what I'd like to do is to do what I've done countless, countless, countless numbers of time over lunch. And that is to just share a diagram that kind of jump starts the whole idea of a potential investigation. You should have in your seat uh, a little uh, diagram here that's what I'm going to draw up. And uh, you could fill it in if you wanted to. I will say this, not of all people, but a lot of people after I draw it on a piece of paper, they say, can I keep that little piece of paper? So this is in case you would want to do that. Also, I realize that this may not be able to be seen really well in the very back or in the side. So by me just kind of walking through it, uh, you can figure out uh, what it would look like, okay? So let me, let me just give you this, uh, this quick diagram. Here's the way I like to, to think about it. I'm going to draw a, a box here, and I'm going to let this box represent mankind, okay? Now, people from the beginning of time, and this, I should say, is all based on Bible. Now, Next week, the big question that we will address is how 
can people believe that something written so long ago by so many different authors, how could it ever be that it could be what Christians claim it is, an accurate recording of truth? That's a question that has to be addressed, but that will be addressed next week as our primary question. So just kind of hold that off. And I'm just saying from the perspective that I'm sharing, this represents mankind, and according to the record of Bible or Scripture, we have different drives. So I'm going to put three drives here. These three eras represent three different drives that all mankind has. From the beginning of time, a spiritual drive at the top, and a spiritual drive represents the, the, uh, the drive in all people to figure out and know about God. Did you know that there has never been a culture in the history of mankind that had no religion? Isn't that weird that every culture in every place, every people group has a religion? Not everybody buy into that religion within the culture group, but they're going to have a religion. It's because I believe innately the designed know there's a designer. Maybe... Maybe not, which, by the way, one of the questions that we will address in this forum is, what about the whole creation-evolution issue? That's a big question that people constantly want to address. So, but we have a spiritual drive. The next, I know it's so small you can't see back there, but I'll put an INT, intellectual. There's an intellectual drive that, that people have, and, a, and that's just basically a quest to find out what's true, what's false, what is, what isn't. We make judgments based on that every moment of our life, so it's an important thing. The third is, is what I'm going to call a physical. It's a smaller drive there called the physical drives. The normal drives of life for food, drink, sex, normal drives of life, okay? So there we are. Now, you notice I've put the, the stronger, the longer, I'll call era there, or drive, spiritual, because according to the Bible, right or wrong, according to the Bible, that that's the way God designed man to be. That the, the driving factor has always meant to be the spiritual life. When it's in this kind of order, a person has what I've come to call the three most important commodities in life. They're the things that really do bring satisfaction. At one is purpose. People want to know they have a purpose. So I'll put a P out here. If you can just remember that stands for purpose. People want to wake up every day saying, I've got a good reason to live. And you know what? I, there's, some, there's some thrill and excitement in the idea that I get to live this life today for the purpose that I have. So it's a purpose. The, the second is what I'm going to call freedom. So I'll put an F here. Freedom, as I told Judy and tell so many people, freedom is not the license to do anything that I want to do. That's not real freedom. Kids think that's freedom, but it's not. Freedom is the ability to do what we should do. That's what we really, I mean, if somebody is an alcoholic and, and they know it's destroying their life, and they say, oh, good, I have the freedom. I can go drink anytime I want to go drink. That's not freedom. Freedom is the ability to say, though I would love to, I'm not going to because I know what it's doing to my life. I have the strength and ability to say no. That's real freedom. Then I'll put an A, and A is assurance that when I die, I'm going to be okay. Most people, and this is proven through survey after survey, modern surveys, the vast majority of people believe there's something after death. Is there? Well, 
You're not going to prove that, but it's interesting that most people certainly believe there is. And if so, a person wants to know that when that time comes in my life, I'm going to be okay. If, if they really believe that and have that sense of I am good, then they've got what they really want called assurance. So here we are the way we were designed to be. I'm going to put a, a little line that cuts across there. And, and I'll put it this way. Everybody, according to the record of Scripture, everybody has gone against God. In some form or fashion, we go against God. I've yet to met, meet with one person. I've, meet with, I've met with atheists, people of every religion. I've, I don't, not every religion, but I mean lots of religions. I've met with people from all places against Christianity. I haven't yet met one person who says, not me, I got it perfect. I, I'm perfect every day of my life. I never have a bad thought. I never do anything I shouldn't do. And I don't care what their standard of judgment or measurement of, of right or wrong, good or bad. I, it doesn't matter. No one says that. So this is pretty much we agree with. We all go against God in some form or fashion. Now, to follow the biblical record, what happens there is once that happens, now there's an inversion of these drives. And now the physical becomes the strongest of the drives. Spiritual begins to diminish, and so as a result, there's a loss of the purpose, freedom, and assurance to the degree that we need in order to be satisfied. So we're, we're in a search for this purpose and freedom and, and uh, assurance and so forth. Now, what we typically do, this is what I did, but what most of us do is we will start and we will add on, I put a little dotted line there. Uh, we put on what I call a pseudo-spirituality, an ethic or a morality or something. And we, something in us craves to, to make sure we're better because we want to go to heaven if we believe heaven or whatever it is. We want to have purpose, and if I can become a better purpose, person, and we add that on. But it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change us. It doesn't give us greater purpose, freedom, and assurance. That's why so many people are fed up with religion and morality and all this. It doesn't do anything for me. So now this could be a continuum of a hundred boxes, but I'm going to draw just one more box down here in this box. Uh, I'm going to now have the front, the, the first line, a dotted line. So if you can't see it, that's just a little dotted line for the spiritual. And then we'll put the intellectual and then the physical begins to grow out of proportion and it becomes a sensual drive. So what's happening is now that the physical drives of life begin to actually dominate us. Instead of us controlling them, they control us, whether it be food or drink or sex or whatever it may be, and it, it just grows out of proportion, and then that's when so many people get in so much trouble in their own life. Now, we're all somewhere on this continuum, in my opinion. Now, let's say that a person finds themselves way down here at the bottom. I mean, they're way down here at an extreme. What happens sometimes with these people is that they meet somebody, and I'm going to put a box up here. They meet somebody who says, I used to be somewhere down here, and then something happened to me, and now, I'll put back to the original, now I have purpose, freedom, and assurance in a growing manner, not in a perfect way. But I'm really experiencing purpose, freedom, and assurance. And I can tell you that it's because my spiritual drive has actually now become the stronger of my drives. And 
I, I think that has to be the reason that I've experienced this. Now, now this, is be where, this is where I'd say that I am. But I would be very quick to tell anybody, do I have struggles and doubts and issues? And Oh, absolutely. But I can say this, from where I was to where I am, totally different individual. I mean, things have changed. There are a lot of people in here that would have the same story. And so, and you know, the truth of it is, you may find some people that are not in Christianity and they'll say they found this too. I checked that out. But I have to say this, I don't find many outside of this being the reason that they're finding that or something that continues on. But that's something you have to look at. But this person often meets this person. And they begin, they begin to say, hey, you know what? I hear you talking, but I don't buy it. I just think you're into something. It, it, it's short term or whatever. I don't think it's real. Or maybe they watch them for a while and they go, you know what? I don't think you're delusional, but I, but I actually don't think it probably is what you think it is. It's probably something else. You know, you're not crazy, but let me give them a little bit of credit. But sometimes these people, they see these people, somebody at work or a relative or whatever, and they watch them over the long haul and say, well, I'm convinced they are truly convinced they've got something. And then maybe you watch some of these people like I did who go through life tragedies. They lose a child. They lose a, you know, their spouse, you know, they get cancer, about to die, whatever. And this person says, you know what? They may have something. Now, here's the question. If they do have something, how did they get from here to there? How do you get there? So I'll put kind of one more stepping stone, one block here. The question is, what is that? What makes this happen to get you to there? Well, let me tell you what I'm convinced is the wrong answer. The wrong answer is going to church. It's, as some people would think, oh, not just going to church. You've got you've to walk down an aisle after you go to your church at the end of the service or something. And then you've got to pray this prayer and voila and all this good stuff. Let me tell you, you and I have been there before and it, it's not the answer. And we've seen that come and go with so many people and say, let's just, a, people are still buying into it. It's not the answer, and we know it's not. So then we say, well, if that's not the answer, what is the answer? Now, this is where I was able to tell Judy, I said, Judy, this is something you'd have to figure out for yourself. But I'm convinced, personally, I'm convinced that the answer is found in the person of Jesus, who he is. That it's through him that this happens in one's life. And so I put the word Jesus up here for Judy, as I do for so many. And I say, now there's the big question. Who is Jesus? Here I love to go to the, uh, the story of a man, C.S. Lewis. Uh, many of you would know the name C.S. Lewis. There was a movie about his life in our theaters uh, a number of years ago called Shadowlands. Uh, he's written what's called the Chronicles of Narnia. Many of you would be familiar with those and so forth. Um, one movie that uh, was written that uh, many of you have seen or maybe read the, the book, uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, that may familiarize you with him. But he died in the 1960s. He was a brilliant, brilliant individual. And he was so skeptical. In fact, he called himself in his midlife, he called himself an atheist. Whether he was an agnostic or an atheist, who knows for sure. But, but he called himself an atheist. And uh, he had a good buddy. Many of you will know this name, 
Tolkien. Tolkien is the man who wrote the uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Well, they were good buddies, and they would meet together in a pub, and they would talk about life. And Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien, began to uh, challenge uh, C.S. Lewis. said, you need to investigate. You need to investigate Christianity. Well, now, the way he went about investigating was to go into the libraries. He took him up on the challenge. Uh, Tolkien believed that everybody, and so did C.S. Lewis, eventually should have the opportunity to investigate Christianity in a clear way. Well, he went about his investigation, going to the libraries, reading all the books, studying all the issues, blah, 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 and he became a follower of Christ. His life radically turned around, and he became a, a great author and lecturer to the Christian faith. He wrote a book that's become a classic in Christianity. It's a small book, more for intellectual-type thinking people, called Mere Christianity, and in it, this was a statement he made, believing that everyone should have an opportunity to investigate Jesus. At the end of their investigation, he says, you can only come to one of three conclusions intellectually. If you want to throw your intellect away, you could say Jesus was some kind of legend, never existed. But he says, there's no reason that anybody can prove. I mean, that's just so far-fetched. That's crazy. But he says, intellectually, you could come to one of three conclusions. You could say, number one, that he was, he was a liar. Because we have good historical record, even beyond the Bible, to know that Jesus lived and that he claimed to be God. Now, if he claimed to be God and he knew that he wasn't, that would make him a liar. He said, number two alternative, you could conclude that he was a lunatic. That is, he claimed to be God and he thought that he was God. And so I would say to Judy or anybody I meet with, I'd say, can you imagine if right now in the middle of me talking with you, I say, oh, by the way, Judy, I, I don't know if I mentioned to you that I'm God. It would be, <laughs> she'd be gone. I'd say, where'd she go? And she'd say to her kids, this guy you're listening to, he's, he's, he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He thinks he's God. Well, maybe it's a lunatic. Number three, he would be Lord of the universe. And here was my conclusion. And this is what I share with Judy and with you. My conclusion, I was a math major in college. I wanted, I wanted, you know, I wanted data and detail and give me facts and I want to know and I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a thinker, you know. And so here was my thinking, that when I investigate, if I conclude rightly or wrongly that he's a liar or lunatic, if that's what I think, then I'm a fool to follow Jesus, period. However... If I investigate and I conclude, again, rightly and wrongly, that he's Lord of the universe, then I would be a fool of fools not to follow him. That just is how it would appear to me. But it raises the question that I, I need to kind of wrap up with here, and that is, well, how do you investigate? How does a person, well, you can go to the libraries, but who's going to do that? I'm not. We don't want that. And so we have to figure out, how do you investigate well, the, uh, I could hand somebody a Bible and be correct in saying, hey, here it's in the Bible. Why don't you go read it and you'll figure it out? You know what we do? We'd pick up that Bible and we'd go, okay. And we'd start where you start all books at the beginning, right? And we'd read Genesis and say, hmm, that was interesting, I guess. Exodus, still some interest, some good stories. Leviticus, Numbers, <laughs> 
we would never get past the next two books. And we would close that thing and say, I'm not saying the answers are not in here, but I will never find them. <laughs> Period. I think the answer to how to investigate is through what I like to think of as cliff notes. Now, I'm saying that for the older people that are here. Spark notes if you're younger. Now, you know, I can just say those words and I see smiles on faces. <laughs> They're like the college student's best friend, you know, the high school student's best friend. Just go. I was the same way, you know. And, man, when I heard you got to read War and Peace or, you know, Peace and War, whatever it is, War and Peace. <laughs> Notice I, let, I read the cliff note on that one. <laughs> I'm the first one at the soup store to, to buy, you know. I want to buy that. Here's my thinking. If I can, if I can get 90% of the data for 10% of the effort, that is a bargain to me. I want that. And so what we need are cliff notes. So I went through an investigation, a much longer, more detailed. I didn't have this approach, but I began to realize this is what people really want. And so what I did, I came up with cliff notes. There are four little basic short cliff notes. And um, what I would do is I have these in little booklets. You, you, can call, you can find them in our bookstore, wherever they're called life issue booklets. But what I'm going to do is basically help you go through the cliff notes. I'm just going to talk you through the cliff note rather than you go home and just read three, uh, six pages or so that answer the question. And here are the four questions that I think have to be, they have to be looked at to have an investigation. And when you've looked at these four questions, you actually have, once you've completed looking at these four questions, you really have done a good about, uh, 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 investigation. You really have. Here are the four questions that I found so critically important. Number one, how can Christians believe the Bible is God's word without error? Written so many years ago by so many different people over so much time. Come on. If it ever was given of God, you know it's been altered and changed so much through the, through the you know, centuries that have followed that it's not what it used to be. So why do you believe this stuff? Well, I'll look forward to answering that question as I think best Christianity can answer it. And you'll say, do you think there's merit to the Bible being reliable or not? But I know this, if it's not reliable, what do we got to base this on? Nothing. My opinion, it means nothing. So that's the first question. I would say at the end of number one, if you go, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm absolutely turned off to this thing. I don't agree because it was such a, a, a pitiful answer to the question. I wouldn't waste my time and come back. But the second question is a very important one, and that is, how can it be in Christianity that all people, including moral, religious people even, outside of Christianity, deserve to be separated from God forever and ever and ever? That just seems so extreme. But that is a basic tenet of the Christian faith in the, the whole of the Bible. So if that be the case, how can God, is that a loving God? Is that a good God? With that question, I'm going to also address the question, how can God let, let such bad things happen to the good people that live? You know, maybe to the Osama bin Ladens, okay, bad things happen. I'm, I'm good with that. Hitler, okay. But look at this precious whoever, whatever. How in the world can God let these things happen to these kind of people? So that's an important question that has to be addressed. The third question, 
is the question about Jesus. Of all the religious leaders that have ever lived, how can Christians say that Jesus, the one and only way to God, which is what Christianity teaches? So it just seems too narrow. And then the fourth and the final question that only if you found merit or some merit to those three questions, would you then want to ask the fourth question? That is, well, what does, what does Jesus say is required to have eternal life, to have glory, to have satisfaction? What is it? How, how does a person get there? So those are the questions that we're going to address over the next uh, uh, four weeks. I'll tell you this. I think most, most, I would say 90 high percent, 90 some odd percent of the people that I meet with, and I share this with them and say, do you want to at least start through week one? Virtually all the people say yes. And you know why I think it is? I think it's because if there is a 10% chance in our mind, 10% that Jesus could be who he claimed to be, put it at 10%, then we're saying it's probably worth checking it out. Here's the analogy that I use. I ask people a lot. I say, hey, from where you're coming from right now, what's the chance you think Jesus could be who he claimed to be? That he's Lord of the universe. What, what percentage would you put on it? Now, because of what I've already heard, well, I don't believe your Bible, and I don't think about that, I don't agree with you, I don't agree, I don't, and then I'm expecting a zero to 2% or 3% or something like that. And I hear this over and over, they go, I don't know, 50-50. I go, 50-50? You're giving it a 50% chance of being true? Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. I said, come on, no, no. Let's drop it down to 10%. Let's just say there's only a 10% chance, all right? Now, imagine that someone is literally on their last dollars. They don't have, I mean, they're, they're now about empty of any funds. And they find out that there is a lottery ticket for $10 million. And you can buy that lottery ticket for five bucks. You can buy 10 bucks, but you only have about 20 left. So it's, that's the majority of your money, I mean, big part of your money. So you're down to your last dollars. You're holding on to them because you got to eat. You gotta, but you have a chance to, to buy a lottery ticket, and you find out that there is a 10% chance that you win the lottery. Would you buy that ticket? Everybody says yes. Yeah, I'd buy the ticket. Why? Well, I, I, mean, I know it's a, a big investment, $5 for what I have, but in the scheme of everything, it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a low risk. It's worth it. I'm, I'm ready to take that risk. And, and I think people are saying the same thing. I don't think there'll be a person who thinks there's a 10% chance that Jesus is who he claims to be, that they'll be laying on their deathbed if they are, and say, I sure am glad I never investigated. They're going to say, gosh, I wish I'd investigated. But most people never have a pl uh, an opportunity to do it in a way that's brief. And You know, I, I think there are two things that people want in an investigation. They want brevity and they want privacy. That's something that I want. I don't want people preaching at me and pushing me. I say, look, just give me the data, the basic data. You can either do that through reading the materials or just listening to what I do to answer those same questions that are in those booklets, but it's to answer those questions. Get the answer to those four questions. That's simple. That's short. 
They want to do it in privacy. So what you want to do is not somebody just hammering you hour after hour, but you want to be able to take it away. That's why we like to give you this to take home and read. And just read. I always tell the guys I meet with, I say, read, read a little every day. Between one week and the next when you meet, read the entire five chapters, but read a little every day. If you get enamored and you read five chapters at one sitting, turn around and keep reading it. There's something very valuable about just reading a little every day and watch, let's see what happens. So I would encourage you to do the same thing. Um, I have a question, but I'm not sure if it's going to be later that you can answer. Okay, so okay. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, one thing is you're telling us to read John. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the whole Bible, but I read a very skeptical, almost atheist agnostic at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I just came to the conclusion that the four Gospels tell a different story and highlight a very big difference, mm-hmm. meaning I, I personally chose Matthew <laughs> that mm-hmm. I like <laughs> um, because I even found, like, for example, at the cross when, when he's being crucified, Matthew ends it with he was cr- crucified by two sinners and and. Mm-hmm. Uh, other books are, and then Jesus turned to to one of the sinners and said, "Today you'll be with me in whatever in paradise." In, uh-huh. in paradise, but that almost contradicts what the path that he was trying to teach people to go on. It was such a narrow, hard path and a spiritual path that you can't get like that. So it it almost seems like, yeah, if. Matthew would be correct. <laughs> so I just, Good question. I, I just don't want to like, uh, as I'm reading what mm-hmm. you want me to read. <laughs> yeah. I'm very skeptical. <laughs> very good. No, no, no. That's exactly what we want. Perfect. Well, let me tell you why I picked John as opposed and understand that, that the, the, uh, each of the gospels was written by different people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. Um, Each were written to a different audience, and that's what you need to understand. Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. And so everything that he wrote, he wrote and shaped it in a way that the Jewish people, with their culture and their understanding, their uh, knowledge of the Old Testament, all of that would be kind of understood. You're coming from this information load, and I'm going to now talk to you, and here are the same issues that are being talked, are the same events that are being discussed and talked about in the other Gospels, but it's from the perspective to the Jewish person. So each has a different audience. When you come to John, John was written to a generic audience. It was written just for general, not this person, this person, or that person. And so that's why I choose the Gospel of John. Now, do they contradict each other? I'm going to suggest they don't, that there's not the contradictions that come. Uh, What I've learned, and this and many of you don't know me, and why would you trust somebody you don't know? I wouldn't, you know, so you don't know. I could be whoever. But I, I will at least tell you this, that in my own studies through the years, and I've gone to graduate school of Bible trying to really, you know, what we call seminary and really studying the original languages and this, that, and the other. What has really encouraged me a lot as a follower now of Jesus is to see how many things that first appear to be contradictory And then as you really dig in and you study and you look at the issues, you find out, oh, there really aren't contradictory. 
Now, I would be happy. I'm not a, I'm not a Bible scholar to the sense that I'm, I'm just, you know, teaching the Bible as a profession in terms of a school of, of, of theology or anything like that. So I'm, but I've had a lot of background in history and so forth. You know, we can try to deal with some of the specifics that might come up if those are the questions that really keep somebody from... And I may have to say at that time, mm, I don't know, but let me, let me research it and I'll try to find the information that I don't remember or I've never studied on that particular contradiction and we'll see what we can come up with, you know. But, uh, but know this, that, that they're giving a different perspective to a different audience and that's why they don't cover the exact same things or they may, sh- may be accurate but showing from a different angle that same event. And therefore, it it will not be written exactly word for word as the other authors might do. When you investigate, I think the best way to do is with a skeptical mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, meaning you can have, okay, yes, this could be true. They're telling from different perspectives. Or perhaps let me entertain the idea that perhaps while I'm seeking with my whole mind, body, heart, everything that he says to seek, that's deep seeking. That means that I can question the Bible. Oh, and, yeah. and in doing so, perhaps I'm meant to find that what everybody else believes is incorrect. <laughs> oh, exactly. So, I, so, I'm with you 100% there. I'm with you 100%. In fact, I invited you at the very beginning. I want to underscore it again. If you investigate Christianity, and I'm not saying this is the best investigation that exists anywhere, but I, I think it, it, it's going to be a very good one. You know, I think it's a fair investigation. If you investigate, same thing I tell the guys I meet with, if you investigate and you don't find it really convincing, I wouldn't follow something that I wasn't convinced was real. So I would encourage you absolutely. That's why I say on the T-bar, put your cons there and, and let that weigh. And at the end of the day, if you find out that it just doesn't merit to you to be reliable, uh, worthy of, I wouldn't follow. To me, a person is foolish to follow something that is not accurate. I think the best thing to be investigating, though, is the person of Jesus. That's the most important thing. Is Jesus who he claimed to be or is he not? That, that becomes the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate question. Uh, so we'll get into stuff like the resurrection of Jesus and things like that that are going to be critical factors to whether he is or he isn't. But that would be my number one thing is to look at that, and these other issues will weigh on whether you believe that he is or he isn't. So good question. Good question. Um, this is like an easy logistical question, but we already have plans to be out of town for next week. Will these materials be online where we could kind of keep up with it for the following week? Because I feel like next week is very critical. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you certainly can. Here's how. On Mondays, about midday, you can go on to perimeter.org slash if, if answers, I-F with the word answers, if answers. And uh, at midday, uh, you could find the audio to what I did here, everything that's done here. On Tuesday, you can get the audio and video, and you can actually have it in segments where you can push ahead. You want to hear just the first 20 minutes when I answer the question. You want to hear just the Q&A. You could go to whatever you want to do. But that comes out about midday Tuesday. Is that right? About midday Tuesday. So, yeah, you can always pick that up. Okay? And any questions that don't get answered here because you may have too many emailed in or whatever, we will try, and I don't know when those will come. I'll tell you next week's when it comes. But we will eventually have those up on our website so you can try to find uh, answers to other questions. Okay. 
I'm a very um, methodical person. But, so the ho- I, I like to think about homework. But a thing that you want us to do this week is it's the booklet and reading the booklets. And, and, okay. That's yeah. what I just wanted to know. Yeah, the best thing you can do, I think, I tell all the guys I meet with, yeah, just read through John. Just read through it. That, anything else you want to do, fine. But I would do that for sure. Hey, my name is Diane. This is my second week here. I was invited by my daughter. I believe this is her third week here. Um, The reason I'm here is um, I'm asking a huge question is how do I find satisfaction in God? How do you find satisfaction in God? Are you thinking you'll be here for all four weeks? I'm going to try to be. Okay. If you have to miss the fourth week, uh, I would definitely want to listen to that because we're going to ask the question, how does a person find? That's the whole question. That's the question of the day. How does a person, how does Jesus say a person finds this life satisfaction? And so there are going to be two key words that will wrap around that answer. And one will have the idea of faith, what faith is, and one has to do with repentance. And we'll walk through what that is on that fourth week. But be sure and pick up the fourth week, all right? And if not, we'll get you the answer otherwise, because I want to make sure you get that one. Let's go up on the board then. We'll take one. Be thinking if you have another question. Let's see if there's, what this is. Why does God love us if we are so bad? If not for our works, then what do works mean to God? Good question. Boy, it's a a great question on why does God love us. I would say this. uh, God loves us because, one, he created us. Think of something that you design that is your highest achievement of design. I mean, he's designed, if the Bible's correct, the world and all the things in the world. But the ultimate piece is his creation of humans. And he, he loves humans. Now, according to the Bible record, because man has gone against God, there's alienation, there's hostility between the two. So then the question is, why would God send his son... And, and literally give his son, because that's going to be the story that we'll get to in the fourth week, the story of what he's done for us, not what we do in terms of our good works. I love this idea of the works. What do works mean to God? And I'll get to that. But the whole idea is that, that here he's designed us. Now we're alienated. Now why would God love us enough to send his son to die for us? And I'm going to put that in the category of the great mystery of God's love. There's a a verse in Ephesians that says he does so because of his great love for us. He doesn't tell us why he would love us, but it is because of his love that he would send his son. God is a God of love. And that's one thing that we'll learn about God, that he has many attributes, uh, but Ultimately, it's all about love so that even when he comes to his own creation, when asked, hey, what's the greatest commands of all? He says love. Love your God with all your heart. Love other people, even as yourself. Love is the answer. So that is who God is. At the same time, and here's the great paradox, you've got him as a God of love, but out of his love, there is justice as well. He loves justice. And so... Now we have an unjust people who have failed God in who we are, but his love has to some way provide justice. And so the way he does is what we're going to call the good news, called gospel. 
In the fourth week, that's where we're going to get into what that gospel is. But it's because of his love. And, and the answer to the question on, on why does he love, I don't know. Then what do works mean for God? Works mean nothing to God. In fact, God hates our works unless they're done with good motive. That's what's so interesting. If we end up saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give money to the church. Uh, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna serve the poor. I'm going to do all these things, and the reason I'm going to do them is so that God will in turn love me. God hates that. He says, that, that's not the right motive. I'm going to illustrate that later in the month. But uh, that's the wrong motive. So he doesn't love those works. What he does love are works that come out of his love. In fact, let me, uh, I'm going to just show it right now. I'm going to jump ahead. Let me show this. This will be a real helpful way, I think, for you to understand it. We'll close. I'm going to close with this and let you get out. I like to think of it like this. Here's God. I hope you can see this okay, but here's God. I've just written the word God up here. And everyone that believes, everybody that's a theist, that means they believe there is a God, theo God, they have one of two approaches for relating rightly to their God. There's one over here that is the word perform, and I could just as easily put works there, but I'll use the word performance. And I always like to draw the arrow from performance to God because this is a religion that's based on, and I put the word do here in parenthesis, do. It's what we do for God or don't do because of God. And it creates within us a righteousness. So I'll put the word righteous here with a dash in front of it because it's a particular type of righteousness. This righteousness is created by what we do or don't do, so it's ourself, and we call that self-righteousness. Now, you and I, so I'll put the word self in front of the dash before righteousness. Self-righteous people, we hear that, we go, I hate self-righteous people. Don't you just hate self-righteous people? We actually don't, we don't dislike self-righteous people. What we dislike are haughty, arrogant self-righteous people. We don't care how people get right as long as they're the right kind of people, right? So that's all that we care right there. Well, that's one way. Well, the point I was going to make a minute ago, the analogy of he doesn't like the, the wrong motives, it would be like a husband uh, deciding that he's committed to his wife that he's going to He's going to work in the bathroom and wallpaper and do all this kind of stuff. We're going to go to the mall all afternoon and evening until, you know. And that's, that's his commitment to her one day out of life. And he picks that day. And he's a huge golfer. And he gets invited that very day to, uh, for that day to, to play at Augusta National, best golf course in America, you know. And, and so now he's all torn. I promised my wife I'd do it and this, that, and the other. And imagine if he, if he went on the way home and... Uh, trying to tell her he's been invited and he can't play on Saturday, he can't do what he wanted to do uh, or do with his wife on Saturday. And what if he bought flowers and bought a beautiful necklace, everything in the world to just, and walks in the door and his wife says, what are the, who are the flowers for? Because he's never given flowers to his wife. And he says, oh, honey, it's for you. They're for you. Me? Why? I've been thinking how much I love you. I just love you so much. Why do I never give you flowers? And she's all excited and giddy and then said, oh, she says, greatest day of my life. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this day. Oh, honey, that's the thing. These flowers die. So I got you something that's permanent. And 
shows her that necklace, and she jumps up and hugs and kisses. She's so excited, excited, excited. And finally, he says, if not now, never. And he says, uh, after a couple hours of her getting excited, saying, honey, you like those flowers, don't you? Oh, yes, I love them. How about the necklace? Oh, I'll cherish it forever. Well, honey, there's something I like, too. <laughs> and about that time, her head tilts in suspicion, and when he says golf and Augusta Saturday, the day he had promised her, she gets furious, throws the flowers in the trash, rips off the necklace, throws at him and says, you repulse me. Well, that's what we do with God. And God knows, knows our hearts. And so, okay, I'm going to give some money to the church. I'm going to go to, you know, help people. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do all this stuff. Maybe God will in turn, he'll do what I want him to do for me. God hates that. But there's a thing called grace that we're going to introduce you to. Grace is God doing for us what we don't deserve. And the arrow now comes from God toward us. And this religion is spelled done. It's what Jesus has done for us. It creates a righteousness within us, but it is, it is actually, I'll put the word, Christ's righteousness. It's him for us. And that's what I'll explain week four. But I just want to understand how this happens. Now, in answer to the question that was up there, people ask, okay, so this is where you pray a prayer, walk your aisle, do it. No, 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 it's, it's more than that. It's when this happens, you have to add the word love down here. Because there's a verse in 2 Corinthians that says, Christ's love for us, meaning we've experienced this, what he's done for us, causes us to perform, to do good works. If these works come out of love, boy, does he love that. He loves that. But if it starts here and just is to merit his love, he hates that. So that would be the answer to what about this thing about love, I mean about works. Now, he loves works, but it's not in order that God would love us. It's we work because God loves us. So that would be the best way I could answer that one. Our time is up, and I want to honor that. I want to pray for you as a, as a people, as a group that this would be a beneficial time. We're honored to have you use and invest your time to come in here. And we hope through the next uh, weeks together that there are going to be good dialogue and interaction. And we'll do our very best to help you know at the end of four weeks you'll be able, if on the deathbed, at least say, I investigated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for our time. We pray that you would now bless as we uh, leave here and go through this next week. I pray that you would help us to uh, understand a little bit about John, what he's writing, that we might find uh, great help in that. And we pray, Father, that by the end of the month, that we would truly find answers to the questions so that we can complete a good investigation. So thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.